Good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll catch up with a 4-H club out of the University of Manitoba that's one of the only adult clubs in the country. Up first in today's country comment, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois of Dalhousie University will stop by to talk about the impact of COVID-19 and the oil price war on food prices. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. The recent drop in oil prices will impact the entire agri-food market. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is a professor at Dalhousie University. Well, overall, I mean, this is, uh, this is unprecedented to actually see uh, this oil price war affecting um, um, well, affecting supply conditions, and on the demand side, of course, you have uh, the uh, pandemic uh, affecting how consumers are are behaving and what they're buying. So it's actually quite unusual to uh, experience such a such a context. And so you got to wonder what's going to happen to uh, the economics of food distribution. And uh, right now. I mean, it, the, the conditions are favorable to to a decrease uh, in uh, food inflation, but the Canadian dollar remains the the wild card. Uh, and right now, the Canadian dollar is is just being being pounded by, by markets as a result of what's happening with the oil, uh, with oil prices. So uh, in a few days, or perhaps in a week from now. Uh, food importers may have to pay way more for, say, produce and, and grocery items that are processed outside our borders. And eventually, uh, food distributors, grocers, would have to pass on extra cost to, to consumers. What impact uh, might this have on, on farmers? Well, overall, uh, you can see that, uh, that right now, commodity, uh, commodities are not necessarily doing well. Uh, as soon as oil actually suffers, it does have an impact on everything else at Farmgate. Uh, you can see right now uh, grains, livestock, they're all struggling. Uh, many farmers were expecting a good year, but uh, everything is, is in limbo. On the demand side, of course, you have uh, uh, weakening demand globally as a result of this virus. People will be spending less and may trade down as well. Uh, they still need to eat, but they won't spend as much. So the problem is when you don't spend as much, it does actually have a domino effect on all commodities. And, uh, of course, on the supply side, there's this oil situation, which is really just uh, affecting everything uh, on markets right now. Another area that you touched on um, is the impact on, uh, on food service. Uh, can, you, can you talk about that? Yeah, with food service, uh, I mean, I do travel quite a bit. I, I, I've been in uh, in Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, and Halifax the last ten days. And restaurants, the food service in the sector seems to be uh, affected by by what's happening. Uh, there's less confidence. People are probably staying away a little bit. They may may, may be actually ordering uh, out uh, to dine in. Uh, you can see that people are, are being a little bit more careful and cautious. Uh, so on the one side, grocery stores are selling and stocks are doing very well. On the other, foods with food service, um, they're desperate for customers. That was Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, a professor at Dalhousie University. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. Could the coronavirus pandemic and oil price war lead to cheaper food? We asked that question to Dr. Sylvain Charlebois of Dalhousie University. 
conditions are favorable to to a decrease uh, in uh, food inflation, but the Canadian dollar remains the the wild card. Uh, and right now, the Canadian dollar is is just being being pounded by, by markets as a result of what's happening with the oil. Uh, with oil prices, so uh, in a few days or perhaps in a week from now, uh, food importers may have to pay way more for, say, produce and, and grocery items that are processed outside our borders. And eventually, uh, food distributors, grocers, would have to pass on extra cost to, to consumers. Members of the Canadian International Grains Institute and Cereals Canada are expected to vote on a potential merger sometime next month. Cam Dahl is president of Cereals Canada. Drivers really are that improving in, in collaboration along the value chain, the improvements in, in the effectiveness of the organization, and just doing a better job of, of supporting the industry and supporting our customers. Dahl says a merger would have some cost savings as well. And the federal government has announced an investment of over $2.3 million to support the Canadian Horticultural Council's research into managing the potato early dying disease. The horticulture sector contributed an additional $992,000 towards the research for a total investment of over $3.3 million. Potato early dying disease results in premature aging, limiting potato yield by as much as 50%. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Thursday, March 12th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glenda the Allen Vossler will chat with an official with Pulse Canada about capitalizing on the demand of plant protein. Today, Glenda Lee Allen Vossler talks with Julianne Curran, the Vice President of Market Innovation with Pulse Canada, about capitalizing on the demand of plant protein. We have done a lot of modeling and analysis to figure out the potential categories that would have the biggest volume use of pea protein and other um, pea ingredients as well as other pulse ingredients to help us to define our strategy for market development that will ensure that we meet our tonnage targets that have been set under this uh, 25 by 2025 target, looking to diversify 2 million tonnes of Canadian pulses. So what percentage are we looking at adding to some of these products? Well, it will depend on the particular ingredient. The incorporation rates for a flour ingredient, as an example, in certain applications can be higher. You can see, you know, 20% inclusion, even 30% inclusion of a flour in some applications or or even greater um, in applications like pasta. Um, when it comes to pea protein ingredients, like an isolate ingredient, um, especially, you're going to see lower inclusion rates for that ingredient um, in different applications. What would this potentially mean if it were to be widely adopted? One of the things that we have looked at is all of the different product categories, food categories globally, and modeled the typical inclusion rates of these different pulse ingredients and looked at the volume potential. And so in the case of pea protein, we have looked, so what we have found by doing this modeling is we've identified which categories, of food product categories, have the biggest potential for volume use of pea protein ingredients. And so in that case, it's going to be products like meat substitutes, um, milk alternatives, yogurt, um, bakery products as well. 
Um, what's interesting is if you compare the volume of pea protein that's being used in the food marketplace right now compared to some of the other major sources of plant protein, um, like soy um, protein, for example, the volume of pea protein right now being used based on a Euromonitor um, estimate that we have is about 50,000 tons. And there's, in contrast, there's about 700,000 tons of soy protein isolate being used. Um, there's also a lot of um, other vegetable protein, so rice protein. Um, there is uh, gluten being used in a lot of bakery products. And so there is significant opportunity and potential to increase that amount of, of pea protein in these um, other categories. Right now, the main category for pea protein use is in milk alternatives. That's where we're seeing most of the usage, but there's a lot of potential, and you, we see this growing demand and interest in using pea protein in meat alternatives, like all of these Beyond um, meat products. And so that's, that's really exciting. There's a lot of volume potential in that category. That's Julianne Curran, Vice President of Market Innovation with Pulse Canada. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen Vossler. Thanks, Glenda Lee. The University of Manitoba Future Leaders 4-H Club will be hosting an achievement banquet on March 20th. The club is one of the only adult clubs in the country. I got the details from President Brittany Pankew. We're an adult club um, at the University of Manitoba. Basically, we're geared towards uh, helping students um, uh, basically adjust to university lifestyle by giving them a uh, a club for them to come and just meet other members at the University of Manitoba and um, improve areas about themselves that they wish to improve, such as public speaking or something like that. How many uh, members do you have? We currently have uh, 18 registered right now. Is it mainly, uh, I guess, rural students who maybe were previously part of 4-H um, before coming to university? Uh, mainly, yes, but uh, we've branched out now. We actually have uh, students in a lot of faculties across the university. Um, some are joining 4-H for the very first uh, time this year. Others have been in it for almost 10 years now. As an adult club, you know, are, are there many of these types of clubs across the country? No, we're one of the only ones in all of Canada right now. Talk a little bit more about, um, you know, some of the benefits of joining the club and, and what students are getting out of it. Oh, we're... We have lots of benefits, but one of the big ones is that we're a really tight-knit community. We, uh, we take care of one another. We make sure that um, we're all making, through, making it through that first year, especially, since that's the hardest year to get through in university. Uh, we just give students a space to get out of um, that class mindset and just um, get together uh, once every two weeks at a meeting. And um, uh, we've recently started branching out to do uh, social every year. We uh, we're starting to do uh, bigger events so that people are beginning to know that we, we're on campus and we're, we're just trying to give students that, you know, that space so that they can feel safe and they can uh, really just start to branch out at the university. Now, Brittany, uh, tell us a little bit about the um, Achievement uh, Banquet coming up uh, later this month. Sure. Um, so basically, uh, at the end of each year, university our 4-H members are able to achieve at the end of the year if they meet all their requirements. Um, ours is going to be on Friday, March 20th at 5 p.m. at Full Point Sheraton in Winnipeg. 
Um, basically, what we're going to be doing is just uh, time for people to come out and see that 4-H, while it's, um, the majority of its members are young students, um, there are young adults um, joining 4-H and are starting, to, starting their 4-H journey and continuing their 4-H journey along with us. Basically, just saying that uh, by putting money into 4-H, you're producing these young future leaders who are at the top of their fields, um, just getting ready to really start out into the world. And tell us uh, how people can get tickets and, and what will be happening there. Sure. They um, can either get in contact with us over our Instagram and our Facebook pages. Those are our two very quick responsive ways. Um, also, via our email uh, or through uh, my personal phone number for right now since we don't have an office at this point. <laughs> Great. And uh, this is the first year for this type of event? Uh, yes, we're, we decided to upscale it this year. We always have an achievement night every year, but we've decided to really branch out and just show everyone that, like, uh, it's not just young children anymore. There's these young future leaders who are, are amazing in all, in whatever they're studying, uh, that we're not just egg students anymore. We're faculty science students. We've got, uh, students who are going into education. We've got social workers. We've got uh, so many faculties here who are all coming together with one mindset is to help create a better future for ourselves. That was Brittany Pankew. She's the president of the University of Manitoba's Future Leaders 4-H Club. The group is hosting an achievement banquet on March 20th. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email to the farm desk at goldenwestradio.com. On behalf of Glenda Lee Allen Vossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The Stanley Soil Management Association will be hosting its AGM March 18th from 10 a.m. until 2 at the Pemina Thresherman's Museum located between Winkler and Morden. The Manitoba Farm Safety Conference is happening March 20th at the Morden Access Event Center. Manitoba Porks AGM takes place March 25th at the Fairmont in Winnipeg. And the Royal Manitoba Winter Fair is happening March 30th through April 4th at the Keystone Centre in Brandon. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Thursday afternoon, High Life wants to build eight nursery barns in the Elgin area. The company held an open house Tuesday to outline plans. Golden West reporter Barry Lamb caught up with spokesman Kevin Geisheimer. Well, we're excited to be here in Elgin today, obviously. Um... We're here to talk about two proposed sites in this the arm of grassland specifically. Uh, and today we're here in the community before the entire process begins really to, uh, we value the community. It's in our mission statement. We take care of our communities. And today it's about inviting them out to be a part of that process about what we're thinking. What do you guys think? And then we have government representatives here from different parts of the industry just to give them more background on what's going on and where they can get more information and where they can voice their opinion. And of course, we encourage their feedback and then we will review as we go through this process with the community. With the need for growth and production, you look for new areas, I'm sure. Uh, Why grassland? At the end of the day, grassland fits within the circuit of Killarney, and at the end of the day, we're trying to fill up that circuit uh, in regards to just supporting the feed mill that we've developed in Killarney. And so at the end of the day, our production at our processing plant in Nipawa, uh, the goal is to get to 100% high-life pigs. And so this is just a part of that plan to continually fill it out, um, the investment that we've made in this region. What does High Life want to put in grassland uh, this time around? 
two nursery sites, um, which is uh, the, the little pigs, the middle stage. There's the sow barns, uh, which is the mom and little piglets. Then the nursery stage, uh, or f- and then the last stage is feeder. So this is kind of the middle, uh, the middle group uh, of pigs. And so basically, the before barns per site, which six thousand uh, nursery pigs in each barn, so there'd be twenty four thousand pig sites. And the locations, what's being considered right now? Um, right now, there's one being considered south. If you look at Elgin on the map, it would be southwest and then about four miles. And then uh, there's one being recommended northeast, which is four miles um, northeast of the town of Elgin itself. So both around Elgin then, nothing around Minto or Hartney, per se? No, I guess based on the location, no, because Minto would be here. Yeah. Yeah, so southwest and then south southeast. So no, not nothing around Minto. It's mainly, it's like four and a half miles both directions out of Elgin. And future growth, if this goes ahead, um, what, what's possibilities for this municipality down the road? Hard to say today. Obviously, that comes case-by-case case basis. It's really hard to find a site and then, and, then, and then align with the owners of the land. So there's lots of different things that have to happen before it's considered. We're always looking for different places uh, that make sense with the community, make sense with the way it's zoned. All those lots of different factors that come into finding a site. And then once we find a site, obviously we have to go through this and we figure out what, what's, what's the community think. And so um, today it's hard to say um, where that is exactly. Um, we don't have nothing concrete to say on that today. What about people? It's always the, the odor issues and the roads. What do you say to people in those areas that might be concerned about that? Um, we take every stipulation possible in regards to um, odor, maintenance of our barns. We, we, we try to exceed standards in regards to uh, the different protocols we take, if that's with the shelter bells, to the cleanliness of our sites, um, to making sure that we maintain them. And we, we take extra precaution to make sure that we cover those I- issues. And obviously with roads, I mean, that's something that we have to work together with the municipality. And we try to find the best locations possible that have the least amount of impact. And then we can use um, highways and different roads, PR roads, as much as possible to have the least amount of impact possible in the region where we, where we find our sites. That's also important when we factor that in. That was Kevin Geisheimer with High Life. The company wants to build eight nursery barns in the Elgin area. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. The Canadian International Grains Institute and Cereals Canada are moving closer towards an amalgamated organization. Here are Cereals Canada President Cam Dahl. There's been significant work on, on developing what, uh, what governance might look like and what the bylaws might look like. Uh, and we're at a point now where uh, those draft documents will be taken to, uh, to members of, of both organizations for approval. Um, we're looking at those votes to be uh, to be happening um, in in mid-April. If that's approved, then the amalgamation itself is a go, and and we'll move ahead. Dahl says merger talks have been going on for about four years, and the recent drop in oil prices will impact the entire agri-food market. That from Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, professor at Dalhousie University. As soon as oil actually suffers, it does have an impact on everything else at Farmgate. Uh, you can see right now, uh, grains, livestock, they're all struggling. Many farmers were expecting a good year, but uh, everything is, is in limbo. Charlebois says the biggest wild card right now is the Canadian dollar. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwestradio.com. 
Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.